Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Here's, uh, so let's get into the series this morning. If you brought a Bible, there's two passages that I want you to open up to. Matthew chapter 28 and Romans chapter 1 verse 16. And if you're just kind of joining or you've been a little bit hit and miss... Uh, we are finishing up a series that's called More Than Believers. And the whole intent, our prayerful goal, is that it will stir some things up in us, it will shift and set our culture so that we can become all the more passionate about being more than just Christians, more than just people who believe in Jesus, but we can become disciples of Jesus. And so from the lesson, lesson one, we've talked about the fact that a disciple, according to the Bible, is not even just a student, although a student's great, but it's an actual apprentice. It's someone who watches and listens and learns and practices the way of another in order to be just like them. So this will be our fourth and our final study in this kind of little mini series. And the first week we talked about the goal of discipleship, how consistently through the Bible, especially the New Testament, Jesus doesn't just call us to be saved, although that's where we put, you know, kind of the big spotlight because that's an eternal thing. And that's true. But Jesus calls us to be disciples. He calls us to move into the kingdom with him and learn to reflect the image of God that we were created in. Week number two, we talked about the importance of foundations. If you're a disciple, what's your life based on? And there's three unwavering truths throughout the New Testament. Number one, you have to understand the love of God. Not just that God is love, but you have to understand what does that love mean to you as you're going through the growing process and you don't always do the right things and sometimes you don't even want to do the right things because we're developing godly character and godly disciplines in our life. So we have to know the love of God. We have to have a faith-filled understanding of what Jesus accomplished when he went to the cross. It wasn't just so we can be saved, it's so we can be empowered, so we can be changed from the inside out here, and then that just accelerates and goes to a whole nother level when we get to heaven. And finally, we have to begin to understand the, the essentialness of an active submission to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about all that, and that's in lesson number two. Lesson number three last week, we, we uh, titled it, Practice Makes Progress. And we made kind of a bold statement right in the middle of the study, and that is that walking with God is really not hard. And, and we can demonstrate that in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus said, are you just exhausted trying to be religious all the time? Are you just tired of all the rules and the do's and the don'ts? And he said, then come to me because my burden is easy and my, my yoke is easy, rather, and my burden is light. Walking with God is not hard. But the part of walking with God is learning to crucify the flesh Learning to tell this other part of you, no, you have to step up and do it a different way. We all understand that in certain areas of our life because not everybody wants to get up on Monday morning and go do what you're supposed to do. But you've learned to tell that part of yourself, no, you don't get to take the day off. Get up, get dressed, get out of bed, and let's get to it. And so we understand that on a practical level, but there are spiritual things that's the same way we have to grow into these. And so it's crucifying that flesh, taking that selfish part of us and learning to tell it no and learning to make it wake up and wanna do the right things. That takes a persistent practice in spiritual things, in spiritual discipline. And over a period of time, we literally change. You've heard me say this if you, if you spend any time with us a lot of times before. It's oftentimes not that we don't do the right things. We just don't do them long enough or consistent enough for them to make the change. And this is what discipleship really is all about. It's talking about how do we practice persistently the spirituals. And we, we pointed out just as important is surrounding ourselves with a group of like-minded people that are also trying to practice so let me start with a quote this morning. We're going to get to this, this last little part. This is a quote by uh, Dr. Jack Hayford in his book, The Charismatic Century. And here's what he says. The hour that we now live in calls for people who are more than simply believers. We need disciples, 
People who not only know who Jesus is, but who are equipped to do what Jesus did. And so that's the mindset that we want to take with us this morning as we approach today's studies. It's not that discipleship isn't in, in, in to a large degree wanting to be more connected with, wanting to be more consistent, wanting to be deeper in a relationship with Jesus and spiritually grow up from the inside until it reflects everything on the outside. But one part of discipleship that even with passionate Christians, passionate followers of Jesus that is often marginalized or ignored is the fact that discipleship is also being used by God and engaging to continue the work of Jesus that he began on the earth. So today's title is Disciples Make Disciples. And I should have turned to Matthew chapter 28 because it's, it's one of two very focused passages that, we, uh, that we've kind of circled around, not just we here, but scholars that have put a circle around and said, that's the great commission right there. That's when Jesus announced there's a mission that I'm going to keep going on earth and I'm asking you to co-mission it with me, to be co-laborers, to cooperate, to be partners in the mission that is ongoing and will keep going until Jesus comes back back. Okay, so let me kind of give you an approach about where we're headed from here. Uh, some people, that helps you to know that we're actually moving and we're not just kind of lost in a whole bunch of stuff we're talking about. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to study scripture. And we're going to go a little deeper than some of you are comfortable with. And some of you say, man, Pastor Go, that's kind of intense, right? Discipleship. We're leaning in a little deeper because we have to know what this means. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going we're to look at what Jesus actually said to the point that we cannot escape. We have to acknowledge it. And then we get to make a decision whether we'll accept it or not. But, but we can't say, well, we didn't know it meant that. Well, we're going to understand that this morning. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to look at three reasons why so many Christians do not engage because the truth is the majority of the Christians do not engage the Great Commission. In fact, there's a whole book that is wonderfully written called The Great Omission. And it talks about how it's not that we don't know, it's just that we haven't understood the weightiness, the gravity of enough, and we haven't accepted the challenge, and we have reasons why we're going to look at that. And finally, we're going to look at three aspects of the Great Commission that every disciple of Christ is accountable for. You can't escape this. It is what it is. Now, let me just tell you, first of all, this is not a heavy, heavy kind of a, you know, I'm going to feel really bad about myself teaching. It's not. It's an open my eyes but we're also going to discover the promises that Jesus made and how there's cause and effects in the Bible. Some of, some of us are not experiencing that assistance, that supernatural surge, that strength and that courage and that confidence and the results. We're not experiencing that primarily because we're not stepping out. And the Bible lists here over and over a cause and effect. If you will take the step then God will meet you there and something will unfold. But if you don't take the step, it's going to stay right there in neutral. And so we're going to talk about that and that will at least help us uh, to begin to lean in. Right? So Matthew chapter 28, here comes the, the, the study. Okay, now I'm going to go pretty fast. And so if you're trying to take notes, you probably won't capture them all. I'm going to look a little deeper at some of these words because again, Many people have read this so many times, you kind of know what it means, but you just kind of boil it down to a really thin equation. And this is not that. There's, there's rich, rich meaning. By the way, I won't tell you anything today that you're going you're gonna to look at and say, man, where are you pulling that from? You can go anywhere on the internet. You can pull this stuff. It's not hard to access. It's just that many people are not doing it. All right, so Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now everybody say all authority. And notice it's in heaven and also on the earth. So no matter where you go, all the galaxies beyond, all authority, any place where there's a say-so, a decision that has to be made, all authority has been given to Jesus. And it's important we understand that because that's this Greek word exousia, and it literally means the right and the privilege to make the decision. The right and the privilege to initiate action, to initiate resource, to initiate direction. He holds all the cards. It's important we understand that because if we don't let that soak in, 
All authority's been given to Jesus. He's got the final say. Nobody's arguing with that. This is a done deal. If we don't stop and understand that, then what we're about to read, when he's going to say, this is what I want you to do, in somewhere back in our subconscious, we'll say it's optional. Well, that's something that he wants some people to do. That's something that he's asking for, you know, people that are like super into this, people that are super, you know, extroverted. He's asking those. But he's laying a foundation by saying all authority. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. Here's the great commission. But he starts off and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth because he first wants to establish, I have the right to say what I'm about to say. The second reason it's important we understand that because it takes us back to a passage in Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10. And we all of a sudden get a fresh glance. Some of us, it'll set us back and realize when we got saved, it wasn't just like there's an option. There's two categories. You can, you can accept Jesus so that you just go to heaven and then you can accept Jesus so you go to heaven plus you engage in the Great Commission. There's not two categories. It, it, in fact, it's, in, it's laden in the text. It says that if we will believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, it doesn't even mention salvation, although that's the primary part of it. That's the first step is that we become born into God's family and part of that is we now have a destination eternally to live with him. That's a wonderful and an eternal thing. But the commitment that every single Christian made, whether they understood it or not, was not a commitment to believe that Jesus would forgive their sins so that one day they can go to heaven. It was a commitment to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. In other words, that all authority has been given to him. And that's a sobering statement because there's a lot of rationale that we infuse into our everyday life thinking, well, I know what God probably wants me to do, but here's what I'm going to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about the Jesus is Lord? What about the he gets to make the final decision? Well, I understand what the Bible says, but I know that culture's leaving, you know, things have changed and this is what's happening in culture. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about Jesus is Lord? What about all authority has been given to him? And when he says this is how it is, as believers, we've already committed way back when. Not only do I want my sins forgiven and I want to spend eternity with you, but I'm also giving the, the decision points of my life over to you. I will follow you. It's an, I said it last week. It's an amazing thing to me. You can see it, especially when you get to memorial services. How people that will abjectly, just, just very obviously, very loudly defy living, living the way the Bible says, living the way the Christian life uh, uh, is laid out, right? Never going to do that. That's dumb. That, that's, you know, that's for, the, for old things. And, and I, this is what I believe. And, and yet those same Christians, when it comes time to talk about our mortality, talk about the next life, they, they all of a sudden, they're all back in this giant circle. Well, one day we'll all be together again. And I'm thinking, not only does that not scripture, but I'm thinking, why would you want to be? Why would you want to spend all of eternity with the God you don't even like to be around now? You don't want to live the way he wants to live now. Why would you want to move there and spend all of eternity there? But it's because people, we don't, we're not thinking this stuff through. And so I just want you to know, I want you to notice, this is important. All authority has been given to me. And so because he has that authority, here's what he's saying. He's saying, go therefore. And you can go do your own homework. It's not super hard. You don't have to be a theologian. But the language here is unmistakable. First of all, it does mean go. And it means once you go, keep on going. Don't stop. It's not a one-time trip. This is not talking about traveling to some other country. This, this, this shares with the other renderings of the Great Commission. And it means I want to initiate you from this time forward for you to get moving and begin sharing and begin proclaiming and begin preaching and teaching this good news gospel message because other people have to have an opportunity to do this. 
And it goes on and says, and make disciples. And this, these two words are really one word. It's where we get the word disciple. And it literally means to, to help other people to become a follower and apprentice of Jesus Christ. And he tells you, where, where, you know, who do we help? Where do we help? He says, of all nations. Again, not geography. You don't have to go on the Bolivian missions trip, although that's wonderful if you do. It, this, is, this is where we get the word ethnicity. It's the word ethnos in the Greek. And it means I don't care what their background is. I don't care what your connection is. I don't care you know, how, how you feel about those groups of people. Any person from any ethnicity, any culture, any background that you come across, we're supposed to be consistently about the business of saying, hey, we're a light and we're also salt. Sometimes we shake a little bit of seasoning, a little bit of truth into a situation. Other times we just live it out. But we are to go and get going and we're to bring this gospel with us by example and by our words to anybody and everybody, every situation, nothing's left out. In other words, this is our number one assignment. We have things that we do vocationally. We have things that we do with our hobbies and for fun. We have, you know, a, a political or community things that we want to be involved in. And all of those are great, but that's not your identity if you're a Christian. Your identity is you are a representative of the kingdom of God first and foremost everywhere you go. And then everything else comes next in that. By the way, all authority has been given to him. The last thing I'll say to you, and I'm just going to land this gently, is this is not a suggestion. It's in the imperative tense, which means it's a command. It's a command. So he goes on then, and he says, here's what else you do. So the first thing is, what do we do? We go and get going. We share, we example the gospel of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody at all times in every situation. And the second part is, this is how you do it. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me just stop there. If you've been in church and you've seen a baptismal service, we put people under water and we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's symbolic of what we were told to do. But really what he's telling disciples to do is not that you have to be in the water pushing somebody underwater saying in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've studied this before. The word baptizing is the word baptizo and it literally means to immerse. So yes, as an example of this, this is an outward example. Everybody's watching what a person who's just got saved is committing to inwardly. They're saying, I'm going to go under the water and the old me is going to stay there while the new me rises up and I'm going to, to be immersed in this Christian faith, in this commitment to Jesus as my Lord. That's what the baptism, the water baptism is all about. But many disciples will never get in the tank and do that. That's not your assignment. It's a small little part in a, in, in a public demonstration. The assignment is to immerse people, to fully immerse them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the word name there is really important. It's not just saying their title or saying their name. The word name there is the word onomos, and it literally means the full identity of the person their character, their heart, their convictions, their standard, their example in the way they live, we are to fully immerse them in how the kingdom operates, everything that the Father has said and done, everything that the Son has said and done, and everything that the Holy Spirit has said and continues to do. The Bible says our job is to go and keep on going and as much as we understand to example and to share with people, well, this is how the Father thinks and feels. This is how Jesus thinks and feels about that. This is how the Holy Spirit thinks and what he's currently doing about it. A lot of that we get from scripture and a lot of that we get from the ongoing relationship that we have with God. But our job is to immerse the people in that to never let that deviate. We're always trying to bring them in to an understanding, not forcing it, but we're trying to bring them into that understanding. He goes on, he says, teaching them, and this is a different word. This means explaining and expounding to them, teaching them, listen, to observe 
all things that I have commanded you to do. And the word observed there is a military term. It means to watch over, to protect, not to let anything come in and steal it or pervert it or twist it, but we're gonna keep these things exactly the way the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit commissioned us to keep them. And our job is to explain and to expound that. Here's the amazing thing, and you've heard me say this before. Pick any other field, any other work-related service, any other, other vocation, and it would be absurd for someone to be in that for one year, five years, 10 years, and not to grow in their ability to explain and to expound, right? But with Christians, it's normal, it's, I mean, it's just common, right? You can be a Christian for 10 years and someone say, well, how do you get saved? I, I don't know, that's kind of a pastor thing. Listen, I can give you his phone number if you want. Don't ask me. And, but we're the only thing. You can't do that anywhere else. You can be you know, a, a construction worker. You can be a mason. You can be laying bricks for a living. And when you've been doing it for 10 years, the boss ought to be able to say, hey, I'm gonna put you with so-and-so because they've been doing this a long time and they know their stuff. And you may not be a systematic teacher, but you can take someone who's a rookie who don't know anything and say, yeah, come on, just follow me. Watch what I do. And, and by example or by your instruction, you can help them to learn the basics of laying bricks. That's true everywhere, but not in Christianity. And it's because we've taken discipleship, even, even in its height, and we've narrowed it down to just a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, maybe a study of the scriptures, but when it comes to the commission, we've made it the omission. And we said, no, that's what the pastors are for. That's what the preachers are for. That's what other people are for. But I'm here to share with you this morning, that's not true. It's just the farthest thing from the truth. This is what all of us should be doing. And, 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 we, we, and we should be learning and growing in that. Let me finish the verse. It says, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And then it stamps it at the end and says, amen, which isn't the signal that it's time to gather all of our stuff and leave because he's finished talking. The amen literally was a declarative punctuation that said, so be it. This is the way it is. Not gonna change anything. This is how it is. But let me draw your attention to a little tiny word that we just sail right past. He says, and lo, I am with you even till the end of the age. The word lo there is such an important word and it's so easy even in English to skip over. It's this little Greek word, I duo, and it literally expresses this profound amazement about something that's just been said or something that's done. In other words, Jesus is saying, Here's what I want you to do. And wow, 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 well, you're just gonna have a hard time believing. But if you'll step out and do it, here's the most amazing thing that will happen. If you go do what I'm asking you to do, as you begin to step, you're gonna experience the fact that I'm gonna come and stand right there with you. I'm gonna partner with you. I'm gonna jump in there with you. And by the way, I'm gonna keep doing that over and over all the way until the world comes to an end. Doesn't matter how bad the culture gets. Doesn't matter how many people are canceling you. Doesn't matter the risk you're taking. Jesus said, the moment you step out, I'm gonna step right there with you and I will keep walking into that with you, strengthening you and empowering you all the way until the world comes to an end. This is my promise to you. And so literally what he's saying is, if you step, then I'll step. But the problem is so many Christians don't step because we look at that and we think, I don't know, I don't know how to, I'm not a theologian and, and man, that's really scary. What, you know, what if they don't like what I'm saying? And in fact, I know that person's gonna argue, argue with me. What if that affects, you know, my, my, my job and affects my promotion and affects contracts? And we got all this rationale that we step, put in the middle that keeps us from stepping. And because it keeps us from stepping, we never experience the promise. The promise is if you will go do what I said, the moment you take a step, God says, the, wow, the most amazing thing, it's going to blow your mind. The most amazing thing will happen when you take that first courageous step, then I'm gonna step right there with you. I'm kind of reminded of the story in the Bible when Peter decided he was going to step out of the boat and trust Jesus and walk on water, impossible. Plus he's in the middle of a storm. So the winds are blowing like a tornado and, and the waves are up and down. And Peter said, well, if you're telling me to come to you, then okay, I'll trust you. And Jesus said, yeah, come on. 
Now, he could have just stayed in the boat and waited to feel super empowered and feel maybe lighter, maybe till he kind of rose a couple inches off the floorboard of the boat and said, okay, I think I'm ready, I think I'm ready. But, but that's not how the story unfolds. Peter threw his leg over the boat, then he threw the other leg over the boat and probably with trembling saying, okay, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you. He put his foot on the water and then pushed off and put all his weight on the water and the moment he did, the most amazing thing happened. He did what he never could have done, and as far as we know, never did after that. This is what the Bible's telling us when it comes to, to our being a witness for Christ or getting out there. You're not going to sense, you're not going to experience all of that power that God promised until you begin to step. And as you begin to step, here comes the courage. Here comes the confidence. Here comes all of a sudden, it's like, this is what I should say. And, and I, I, I didn't even, I don't know, it just kind of came out of nowhere. I just knew those things are being experienced all over the place by people who are stepping. But people who are not are still sitting on the sidelines making all kind of excuses. Now, so if, if, if Jesus really will show up like that, that's amazing, right? That's awesome. You're like, how cool would that be? So here's the big question. If the command is really clear, and the promise is like incredibly clear, then why are so many Christians not engaging this? Because I'm telling you by the droves. And the answer, Paul wrestles with this answer in Romans chapter one, and it's such a clear thing for us. Let me just read it to you. Romans chapter one, verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, not for everyone, but for everyone who takes that step of faith and believes, and kind of leans out there, they experience the power of God to salvation. Of course, we can see the, the history of the Bible. It was given to the Jew first, but then it was also brought to the rest of the known world that wasn't Jewish. Uh, we know them as the Greeks or they're the Gentiles. So he goes back and he says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The word power is, it describes uh, an explosive power, or really it's often used to describe the advancing power of an army that is invading, uh, invading uh, enemy territory. So if we go back to Matthew chapter 28, that's exactly what the Bible tells us. Low, wow, wow, wow. The moment you step out and you make disciples, you share the gospel, you start explaining what you know about the gospel, the Bible says then the moment you step, suddenly here comes the power of God like an invading army, goes into that person's heart, takes the words that you're saying, and begins challenging and pushing back the lies of the enemy to help them to realize, I need a savior. Now, you may not see any of that, but we're used to that. Right? We, we can go to urgent care, we can go see the doctor, and he says, here's what's going on. Here, pick up this prescription, take two of these a day for the next five days, and you're going to feel so much better. So we go by the pharmacy, and we, you know, we pick up the prescription. We're calling our loved ones. Hey, listen, I just got back from the doctor. It's not, not as bad as I thought. They said, you know, couple of these for about five days. I should be better. It's just a virus. We take those pills every single morning faithfully, every single night faithfully. We're swallowing this little pill. The moment we swallow it, we don't feel anything. Just a little white pill. We don't feel anything, but we put all of our faith because here's what the doctor explained to us. The moment we swallow that little pill, it begins to dissolve in our digestive system and it sends antibiotics all over our, our body to begin to fight the virus and the bacteria. It's, it, it, it challenges like an invading army. It challenges what's been hurting us and plaguing us until it drives it completely out. Sometimes it'll take a week. Sometimes it'll take longer. But we get that, we understand it doesn't have to be an explosion and lightning bolts. We don't have to have tingles up our spine. We just trust that when we give the medicine like we're supposed to, when we take the medicine like we're supposed to, that this explosion happens inside and like an invading army, these antibiotics push out everything unhealthy so that we can find health again. It's the same thing that happens when we share the gospel. You might see a reaction. That person may say, man, I'm so glad you told me this is exactly what, or you might see them reject, nope, I don't do all that Christian stuff. Or you might see them say, yeah, okay, thanks, that was kind of weird, and they walk away. But here's what we know, you've done your part, 
you distribute, you stepped, and what you know as you walk away, whether you walk away feeling good or you walk away feeling awkward or you walk away feeling a little bad because you were rejected, here's what you know. When you do your part, the power of God came like an army and climbed inside of that person and began pushing back and challenging everything the enemy's trying to do to keep them from being everything God wouldn't be. And they may not, have may not have demonstrated it to you, but later on that night when they're quiet and in their bed, in the middle of the night, the Lord will wake them up. And that thing's working, working, working because John chapter 16 said that's the Holy Spirit's job. He will work, 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 work. Here's a question for you. What would happen if you went to the doctor and you got the prescription and you went to the pharmacy? Oh, we don't do medicine anymore. We're not giving that out. So you went to another pharmacy. Oh, we're not giving that out. So you went to another pharmacy. Oh, that's in short supply. We don't have any of that. And you went to pharmacy after pharmacy after pharmacy. You know that what, what can help you is right there and available. You can't find anybody that will hand it to you. Welcome to the body of Christ. Welcome to Christianity. People are starving. People are hurting. They don't even know what it is, but God does. And here we are, we're the ones that are holding the answers and have the ability to administer the medicine. We don't even have to prescribe it. We just have to administer the medicine and walk away. Whether they change, whether they get healed, whether they get fixed, not even on us. What's on us is to do what Jesus, as the Lord of all, who has all authority, commanded us to do. He said, just go share it. Just go example it. And then you watch what I'll do. Wow, 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 it's the most amazing thing. If you'll do your part, I'll step in and I'll do my part. And you'll literally, over a period of time, you'll get to see lives, families, generations completely changed for the kingdom of God. This is, this is what he's saying. So Paul says the same thing. He says the good news when it's shared is the power, the explosive power of an invading army that brings salvation, not just eternal salvation. It's the word sozo. It means to bring help, to bring rescue, to bring deliverance in every area on every level to any person's life that's, that's being challenged. We have that message and we can come bring it. So then why don't we do it? Because this is crazy wonderful. He says, because we're ashamed. And the word ashamed, there is this long Greek compound word, but it literally can be summed up to be embarrassed, to be red-faced, or to feel humiliated. And you say, well, what does that mean? Why would any Christian you know, follower of Christ feel humiliated or ashamed of the gospel? That's We're basing our life on that. And here's three reasons why. Number one, because most people feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. Can I let you in on a couple things? Even pastors and theologians feel ill-equipped sometimes. The complex situations that people find themselves in, the culture and the, and the just crazy and the irrationality and, and the complexities of the culture, there's not anybody that has all the answers. We all feel ill-equipped sometimes. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, when we were saved by that one offering, Jesus perfected us. He put us in the family. We're sealed forever. We are loved by God. We're going to heaven and that's wonderful. That's not going to change, but it goes on and says that he's perfected those who are now being made holy. We're all growing up. We're all changing. We're all moving in this thing. And listen to me, God's not holding anybody, including me, responsible to save anybody. Only the Savior can do that. He's not holding anybody responsible to shape anybody. I can't shape people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that from the inside out. What he's holding us responsible for is if we'll do our part. If we'll do what we can do at the level we can do it and not be afraid at some point to say, I, I don't know, that's a great question, man. I, I don't know. Maybe I can help you find an answer. Here's what I do know though. And we trust the Holy Spirit's going to do that. Here's the second reason why. Because people are afraid how others respond. And this is not new, by the way. You can find this all over the Bible. In Isaiah 41, God's talking to Israel. He was, uh, they were his witnesses in the, earth, in the earth. And he said, fear not, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. In other words, he's saying, when you step, I'll step. Don't be afraid. Trust me. When you step, I'll step. First Timothy uh, chapter one, verse six through eight. Uh, 
Paul's talking to this young pastor, Timothy, because the culture was seizing up and under Nero, persecution was increasing. And he's like the pastor of a pretty large church. And he's like, "Ah, I can feel the target on my back. And Paul's encouraging him. He's saying, let me remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the laying out of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, that sound mind means the ability to think rationally, to think logically, to come back and to infuse the word of God into what we're doing. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his prisoner, that was Paul at the time, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel's sake, listen to this, according to the power of God, that, those phrase, that phrase according to literally means relying on. In conjunction with the power of God, I know that what we look at is like, ah, but what, what, if that, what if that's really bad? Step out and rely on the power of God to come partner and for him to do what he said he would do. Here's the last part. Many have not experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And this is really important. It's not just something that churches do because it makes things a little more exciting and you know, then we, we get to participate in some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we, we do this because in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said to his disciples, don't do anything until you go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. He says, but you shall receive power. That's that dunamis. Uh, it, it's, it's this explosive power. Now listen, none of us that have been saved or filled with the Holy Spirit have explosive power in us. That's not what he meant. I can't point and lightning bolts come from my fingers. And it's not, I don't, I don't have the power. What I've been given is the authority, the commission to step out and do what Jesus said. And when I do, the Bible says, the power comes and meets me there. It's backing me there. You're like the police officer You can't handle the mob, but the moment you step out, the entire police force comes and backs you up because the law has been established and you are now a representative of a much larger powerful force. That's what the Bible says. He says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on us and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. In other words, everywhere you go to every person you go. But it was such a blessing to me when I finally understood the word witnesses. It's the, the word maturos. Interesting, we get the word martyr from it. People that are killed for their faith. But really, it's, it's describing somebody who will give testimony to something they saw, something they know, or something they've experienced, and they will give such a factual testimony to the best of their ability that they will stake their life on it. I won't change my mind. You can't talk me out of it. It's what I saw. You can't change my mind. It's, it's what I heard. I was right there. I, I, I experienced it. I was right in the middle of it. You can't change my mind. You can take my head off, but you can't change what I already know and what I've already experienced. That's the word witness. But here's the most amazing part. In John 16, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the spiritual prosecutor, and he's working trying to convince people that they really need Jesus. And in his building a case in their life, he will do what every prosecutor does. He will call witnesses. And you don't know when you're going to be called. You, you might be called unexpectedly or you might can see it coming and you can kind of start praying and preparing for what you might say when the moment is there. But we're called as witnesses to step up and we'll swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the person says, what about this? Well, I, I don't know. I didn't see that. Well, what about that? I, I don't know. I, I didn't hear that. Well, what about this over here? I, I, I don't know. I don't experience that. But let me tell you what I do know. I know. I know what I know. I've experienced what I've experienced. And I heard what I heard. And I'm here to give testimony to that. I will stake my life on it. This is the truth. Jesus is changing my life. You'll see it through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Something will happen. And the religious leaders come and they're grilling people. And they look at the person that just got you know, healed. Their eyes are open. They're, they're walking and they're like, yeah, I don't know about any of that. I'm not a theologian. Here's what I do know. I couldn't see like a half an hour ago. And now I can see everything. That's, that was the witness. Something actually happened. And that's all that we're asked to do. But we're asked to do this in such a responsible manner. In fact, that word matudos is the reason that witnesses can be, can be used as evidence in a court of law 
Because what they say should carry a weight, should carry an authority that those who listen to a witness when they're under oath, that, that it'll establish a truth that doesn't need to be negotiated now. In fact, it's what the Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are kings and priests before him. When we make statements demonstrating who God is and what God wants to do, then the Bible says that carries the authority in heaven. Wow, 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 here comes the army of God and invading and begins to build a case and convince that person of the truth of God's word, not yours, but you're giving testimony to it. And so you're giving a testimony that is not just a conversation at the lunch table. You've been sequestered in the courts of heaven. And now you're giving testimony. And that testimony, according to the courts of heaven, should be listened to and should be adhered to. And if not, there's a penalty for that. And, and this is really important. Again, what would happen, by the way, I hate to use this as an example because our justice system is just being pounded right now. But the way that our justice system is supposed to work, what would happen if witness after witness, nobody, nobody decided to show up? People are trying to build cases, prosecuting and defending, and they have witnesses that are key to the case that will really help, but they decide not to show up. This is what's happening all for Christianity. And the Lord's saying, listen, this is not how it's supposed to be. All right, let me just list for you three aspects that every one of us are accountable for. And I'm gonna be so quick on this, but you have the meat of what the New Testament's telling us. Number one, this will be really quick. Number one, disciples make disciples. We're accountable to that. Now again, we're not accountable to do it all. We're not accountable to say, I know what to do. Let me take someone who is brand new in Christianity and just make them and shape them. You say, Pastor, I don't, I don't even know if I'm doing that. We're accountable to do what we can do, to show up, to be the witness, to do our part, to example to the best of our ability, to share what little we can, to keep growing so that we can explain more and more as time goes on. Well, here's, here's what I know the Bible says. In fact, we, don't, we won't turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul's making a case on how this whole thing works. When he talks to the Corinthian church, he said, okay, so here's how it worked. I planted... I got here, got this church started. Then Apollos came, who's a great teacher, and he kind of watered and kept this thing going and growing. He said, but when we add all this up, God's the one who gave the increase. We didn't do this. And he goes on and he says, so when we think about it, it's like, I'm not really the superstar. Apollos is not the superstar. God's the superstar. He's doing it. We're just doing our part. Whatever, whatever we can do, we kind of help and we add into that. And so for us to understand that as a disciple of Christ, it's been commanded by the Lord who has all authority that we are engaged and involved in making disciples. We're not responsible to make them. We don't have to receive the pressure of getting people saved. We don't have to receive the pressure of how they're living their life, but we do our part to keep contributing with our life or with our words so that they can understand and keep moving forward. Here's number two, disciples preach and teach the gospel. And again, when I say preach and teach, you're thinking, oh, now I know you're not talking to me because that's the pastor's job, that's the preacher's job, that's the evangelist's job. But really the word preach here is the word caruso and it just means to herald or it means to, to make the announcement. It, it means to come, again, like that witness and just to bring a truth that you know of. For example, we're headed into election year. This is not political. All kinds of stuff is gonna rise to the surface again. People are gonna be arguing and splitting nuance hairs here and there to try to form a, a, a thought, their truth of what it should be. Our job is when appropriate to say, I totally get what you're saying, but I keep coming back to what the Bible says. And then we just let that. You say, well, yeah, but... <clears throat> Why can't somebody else do it? Well, part of the reason, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, how are people going to hear the truth if nobody's talking? How, how, how can they form a basic opinion of the truths of God if nobody's sharing the truths of God because that's too weird, I feel too awkward, and there might be consequences? He said, we have to do it. In fact, listen to Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. He says, rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back through those who are staggering towards the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, like, oh, I, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know that was a thing. He says, does not he who weigh the heart perceive it? 
Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done? This is serious. This is weighty, man. People's lives are being torn apart. Marriage is being split. Mental health, emotional health being ravaged. And here we are, we have the, we have the answer. And we just won't even give what we have. We don't have all the answers. That's Jesus, but we won't even give what we have. In fact, let me say this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus makes this statement. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, you know that's true because one of the hardest things in life to do for everybody is keep a secret. In fact, statistics say most people really don't. Hey, I'm going to tell you this. Don't tell anybody else. Okay, okay. But then he, well, I'm just going to tell this one other person. I can trust them though. They're not going to tell anybody else. Who tells another person? Who tells another person? Who tells another person? And it's, it's the hardest thing to keep a secret, right? Let me tell you why. Because when something's in your heart abundantly, we're not wired to keep that to ourselves. We're wired to share that. So when we give confidentiality, it's the hardest thing in the world to hold that, which brings us back to sharing the gospel. That tells us very clearly, if you're not sharing the gospel, if you're struggling with that, one of two things is true. Either number one, it's not in the abundance of your heart. Who Christ really is and what you've really bought into, not the weighty responsibility, the wow, wow, wow part who Christ really is, is not really in the abundance of your heart. By the way, that's fixable, right? All you gotta do is lean in and start understanding some stuff and let Christ educate you and, and then, and then uh, uh, prove to you. Or it is in your heart and you've just chosen repeatedly to hold that in. By the way, that's fixable. You repent and then you say, okay, I'm gonna start edging out there and God will meet you. Here's the last one. Disciples authenticate the Lordship of Jesus. We don't have time to, to read, to study through this, but Mark chapter 16, we did a deep dive study in this in our Empowered series, and here's what we found out. The Bible says that these, in verse 17, Mark chapter 16, the other great commission, he says these signs will follow those who believe. And the word signs is a much deeper and a much more significant. It really is talking about the seal or the signature that authenticates something that, that is trustworthy, it's reliable, it's the real deal. It, it's like the actual label, not some cheap knockoff. This actually is the real deal. In Mark 16, it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel uh, to every creature. If they believe, then the Bible says they'll be saved. If your, weight, your, your, your words are so powerful, if they reject and keep on rejecting, then they'll be condemned. Not because you said it, but because you're bringing the gospel, right? But it goes on and says, and when you do, these signs will follow you. This, this authentication, God will step up, wow, wow, wow. And he will sign off and authenticate that what you just shared with them is actually real and actually true. And it says these signs will follow. That word will follow is a word uh, that describes somebody who just tires, tirelessly and effortlessly just accompanies someone else. They just won't stop. Every time they turn around, you're in my shadow. Are you still here? Go home, go home. But they can't. They're right there with you. In fact, it's such a powerful word that it's used throughout the New Testament at times to uh, in, in interchangeably with the word a disciple someone who's right there. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying when people will step out and do what God's telling them to do, the, the power, the invading army of God will come and will climb into that situation. It may not look like anything, but it'll climb into that person's heart, into that situation, and it'll begin releasing God's power to drive out anything the enemy's trying to do and bring in what God promised and what God wants to happen. And our job is to do it. And it says, listen, if you will do that, then here's the authentications that will follow you. I mean, like never let you alone. We'll be right there on the step every single time. We'll follow you if you will do what he said to do. And then he goes through these authentications. He said, in my name, you'll cast out demons. Now, it doesn't mean, again, that the, the exorcist going on all the time, but it means in every situation, in, ev in every circumstance, as a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, you have the ability to say, that's not what God said. That's not what God promised. That's not what the Bible says God wants. In the name of Jesus, we're turning that around. And you may not feel anything, but the invading army of God comes and says, okay, the police officer, the ambassador of heaven just said, no, it's going that way. And God's army said, okay, let's bring it that way. And we'll begin to move because you said it. Parents, you need to know this about your kids. 
You need to know this, when, when the relationship feels like it's getting in trouble, don't let division, don't let divorce, don't let those things just, just you know, be, be the, the, the standard. Just come and say, no, in the name of Jesus, we're not doing that. We're gonna walk in harmony together. We're gonna walk in unity together. Nope, in the name of Jesus, my children have been taught of the Lord. And they're going to walk in peace. They're going to walk in, in, a, in a balanced state of mind. The enemy cannot touch them. See, this is the authority of God. And you get to do that. They will speak with new tongues. We don't have time. But praying is a spiritual weapon. We see that all the way through the Bible. And those that have received a prayer language, you have the advantage because you can pray past your understanding of the circumstance or your understanding of Scripture. And you can now allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to, to advance and expand that prayer language and to do a lot more. They will take up servants they will drink any deadly thing by no means hurt them this is divine protection remember we're, we're being sent everywhere in every circumstance some of them are a little sketch some of them are a little scary but we have divine protection in every environment that the that god sends us and finally they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover and th this is our recognition that again like the illustration i gave with the little tiny pharmaceutical we have the ability to be the orderlies not everyone that I lay hands on gets healed right there in front of me. Not everyone gets healed in the long run. But listen to me, not because of what happened when I laid hands on them. I did it in obedience to the Lord. And the army of heaven came and went in them. And like a medicine began, like antibiotics, just began to drive that out. But there's a number of complexities. We have to trust the Lord for that. But, but the point that this scripture is making is you and I have an opportunity. What happens if everybody just stops giving kingdom medicine? What happens if the only thing we do is rush our kids to the doctor, but we never stop and say, hey, we're going to go to the doctor, but let's pray first. What, what happens when we don't do that? Well, listen, if we don't step, God doesn't step. But if we step all over the Bible, as soon as we step, God steps. Let me finish this and I'm done right here. So then it goes on and says, after the Lord told them this, after he'd spoken to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And there's that exclamation point again, amen. In other words, it worked for them. Well, they have, those were the disciples. Yeah, remember those are the guys that ran and hide. When the crucifixion happened, they weren't bold and courageous and, yeah, we're going to do this for Jesus. They were like, what, what, wait, wait, what, 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 you're leaving and we have to do this now? But they got empowered with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Jesus went up, they said, okay, and let's start doing it. And every time they took a step, God took a step. And this thing just began to grow and people's lives were changed. It worked for them. Listen to me, it'll work for us. If we stop living by the great omission, and we start saying, listen, all authority has been given to him. And I need to, to the best of my ability, just begin to take little baby steps and get out there. God will meet me there. And wow, 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 people's lives will be changed because I shared my testimony. Because I just said very gently and said, hey, can I just pray for you real quick? Tiny little 30 second prayer. Lord, would you just heal them like you promised you would? In Jesus name, amen. Power of God begins to work. This works, and this is what we're responsible to do. Hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Let me pray for you that the Lord will encourage you. Stand up your feet. Heavenly Father, would you encourage us today when we go through these really weighty studies? Would you not let it land heavy on us, but Holy Spirit, would you take it and would you now parcel it up, feed us with the things we need to be fed, to be encouraged, bring us those corrections gently in a way that will draw us in and inspire us to keep moving forward and then take the rest and little by little just break it off to us over a period of time lord we thank you in the name of jesus as we're stepping as a church that we're going to be a church that is reaching people around us in our communities for jesus christ we're going to be a church that's alive and active not in the great omission but the great commission and we're going to do it only because you said as we step, you would step. We trust you and we'll follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.